0: Hi, I'm Stubaka, and I'm a Gen X Grown Up, and I support Gen X Grown Up on Patreon, and you should too, at patreon.com slash genxgrownup.
1: Welcome back, Gen X Grown-Up Podcast listeners, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown-Up Podcast. I'm John. Joining me, as always, is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? And you know that Mo is here. Hey, everybody. You know, since its international launch in 1980, roughly 400 million Rubik's wow. Cubes have been sold. Ooh. It's estimated that one out of every seven people on the planet
3: has had their hands on Erno Rubik's little invention. Or one of the people in this podcast has had his hands on 1,700 Rubik's Cubes? <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah. <laughs> Who's really? that? Who are we talking about here? <laughs>
1: (laughs) 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 We're going to dive into the Rubik's Cube and all of its history and its legacy on this backtrack. Before we do, my favorite part of the show is fourth listener email, and I have a brand new fourth listener never written to us before that I'm aware. This is Ed. Hey, Ed. Ed. And Ed actually hit us up on Facebook. Wow. Cool. And Ed says, Hey, guys, I really liked your last episode.
0: Which episode was that?
1: And he's referring to the backtrack (laughs) all about collectible drinking glasses here. Oh, wow. It'll be readily evident momentarily. He says, check this out. Okay. About a year ago in Orlando, I ran into an older couple who had 44-0 boxes of glasses from the 70s and 80s in mint condition. What? Wow. Listen to this. What they would do is wrap them immediately after getting them. So going back 40 years and they still have a bunch of boxes apparently that he didn't even get. He posted a bunch of photos and he had, I don't know, probably dozens of glasses that he got for for peanuts off of these people that collected them and never used them. Mint Mm. condition. Wow. Oh, and he said, so George knows, yes, sometimes I still use them for my adult beverages. So he doesn't nice. lock them in the $4,000 China cabinet.
3: Like you do George. No, but he, and he has really good glasses too. The ones he showed in the image, I was like, Oh, I know.
1: Do you see somebody else posted? They had the collection of the little uh, Garfield mugs. Yes. You see that one? Oh, yeah. wow. I thought you'd be drooled over that one. Yeah, I was absolutely. <laughs> yeah. George is like, here's my address. You can ship them courtesy. Yeah. Them. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Ed. Yeah, we I, I loved that episode about the glasses. I went finding, uh, I posted a couple of photos of the w- the Welch's jelly ones that you mentioned, Mo, and <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we got good feedback on that one. So I appreciate you, Ed, for hitting us up. If you would like to uh, contact us, you can hit us up on Facebook like Ed did or fire off an email to podcast at genxgrownup.com. Uh, we read everything and most of them make the show right here. All right, it's time to jump into the history of the Rubik's Cube right after this.
0: Sure, Sir Isaac Newton unraveled the mysteries of gravity. But could he have unraveled the mysteries of Rubik's Cube? Three weeks ago, Judge Smith retired to her chambers with Exhibit A. Rubik's Cube. She hasn't been seen since. Warning: Once you get your hands on Rubik's Cube, you may never be able to put it down. Rubik's Cube. Over three billion combinations, but just one solution from Ideal.
1: Born in Budapest, Hungary during World War II. His mom was a poet. His dad was an aircraft engineer who started a company to build gliders. <laughs> who would have thought that out of such humble beginnings would come a toy <laughs> that became an
3: icon of a generation? Yes. Yeah. And still is an icon. It's not like it's one that was forgotten or something not like if, that. If I anything, mean it's, it's
1: growing. I mean, it's still yeah. like commonly
3: you know, made and there's
1: competitions and stuff. I know we'll get to it in a bit. Erno himself, he studied sculpture in college. After he graduated, he went back to learn architecture at a college called the Academy of Applied arts and design and he remained there to teach interior design. And this was all in Budapest in Hungary. All in yep. Budapest, Hungary. That's right. Budapest. Yep. Yeah. And so <laughs> the, the history of the Rubik's Cube itself starts with Erno in 1974. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that far back actually. Yeah, yeah. Well before it was an established toy. So he made a prototype out of wood. I'd love to see that. Yeah, he built this initially as a teaching tool to help his students understand how working with 3D objects in space as an architecture student or an architect uh, and how you can move the pieces while the structure, the mechanism remains intact. Right. Mm. And so he made it as this teaching tool and he started playing with it and his students started playing with it. <laughs> and
3: they told two friends and they told two friends and <laughs> Wait, so we on. We may and be so onto on to something here. <laughs> <laughs> by
1: 1975, he patented it, but it wasn't called the Rubik's Cube then, even though it was invented no. by
0: Erno Rubik, It was the magic cube. Buh, buh, the bah. magic cube. Wow. I thought the funniest thing I've read when kind of doing the research was that he did this prototype cube, scrambled it, and then figured realized that he had to figure out how to unscramble it. Yeah. yeah. Took it
3: took him a while. <laughs> apart. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. Well, he probably didn't have to break away pieces at that time. He probably it was all yeah. right. solid fixed components. So he didn't have the way like we could with a screwdriver snap it apart, you know, and no. put it back together.
1: There was no peeling stickers, I'm sure, back then. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't know why, but for some reason, I know this guy was born and raised in Hungary, and that's where he went to class, that's where he invented the thing. But for some reason in my brain, I always Thought that it was from Russia. I don't know why. Is because it was all Soviet Union back then. Was it maybe oh, that's what it was? Yeah. Thank goodness we have someone who understands world affairs.
2: Thank <laughs> yes. you. And geography <laughs> and politics. Good to have you, Bo. Sure. I didn't know that. I, I have a purpose in
3: life. Bo <laughs> yeah. handles the rest of the world. We handle Rubik's Cube. There we yeah. go. That's just just this little area. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> so test batches came out in seventy seven, and then in nineteen seventy nine, he signed a distribution deal. Took a while to get through the, as you said, the Iron Curtain, the Soviet Iron Union. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and when we first saw it, nineteen eighty.
0: Mm -hmm. and as soon
1: as it launched in 1980 uh, it showed up at an international toy fair and that same year a guy named David Singmaster published his layer
3: method of solving the cube that we still use today still use today (laughs) David Singmaster Singmaster is the guy's name that's perfect isn't that a great name? (laughs) That is awesome. <laughs> you could write that stuff. I know. I'm going to use that name in the next fictional story I create. David Singmaster. 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 <laughs> it was pretty quickly
1: evident that this was going to take the world by storm. And in the, mm-hmm. the year after it released in 81, the United Kingdom awarded it Toy of the Year. Yeah. You know, Look at the things that have gotten Toy of the Year in the past, like Cabbage Patch, NES, things like that. This is right up there with those things.
0: Yeah. I thought the funny thing also was that same year, the book, You, know, you Could Solve the Cube, sold 1.5 million copies.
3: I bought one. <laughs> I did I'm too. I'm surprised that's all it sold. Honestly, I'm am surprised it didn't sell more because I remember even as a kid going through the grocery store lanes like in '85 or '86, probably, and they were in the little Digest magazine racks. You know yeah. how to solve the Rubik's cube, and yeah, this I'm, I'm sure that I got them. mine. Yeah. I was in a dime store, yeah,
1: like that. Just it, because I had I mean, We'll talk about our own experiences in a bit, but you know, you have the cube, and like Erno, you're like, I want one because everybody has them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you scramble it, and you're like. Well, crap. Now what? Now I'm screwed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I went and got the book. I spent my own money to get that book. <laughs> yeah. In 1982, the first championship for Rubik's Cube solving. I mean, this has been out for two years. Yeah. And it's already, there's there's competitions around. I mean, there's no spirograph competitions. There's no View Master <laughs> World
0: Championship. There's none of that. <laughs> the light, bright challenge. Although yeah. we do have the Lego championship now. We do
1: have that. Appropriately, that was held in Hungary, where Erno Rubik was uh, born and raised. I had 20 competitors and an American mm. Min one with a time of 22.95 seconds. Which seems like an eternity now. I still
3: can't beat which that. Which soo- which you still no, can't. No, but I still can't beat which it. Which sounds no. fast.
0: Yeah, but.
1: But you have to think too, I mean, we'll talk about some of the records that there there are now in the competitions, but that was before speed cubes. That was yeah. when these were very kind of grindy, rudimentary. A lot of the speed these days comes from like muscle memory and how fast you can spin them. But even a year after it came out, people putting out competitions. Man. And two back in that championship, they were still using the method that relative non expert like us use, which yeah. is you do that layer method that we just talked yeah. about from the book. Right. And it, it wasn't until 97, almost 20 years later, Jessica Friedrich publishes the CFOP or CFOP method that speed cubers use today. Mm-hmm. It's very, very different. I, we did a video about the top five Rubik's Cubes of Gen X. And sure. in that video, I explained the layer method because we meet people at conventions and they will say, I can solve two sides, but then I'm stuck. And I'm like, no, no, no you're already, you're already messing up. You don't solve by sides, you solve by layers. You have the top cross right. and the edges and the things we all know, but they This CFOP or CFOP method, it stands for CROSS, F2L, OLL, and PLL. And all of that is to say that (laughs) what you're doing is you solve two layers and you orient the bottom layer and then you permute the last layer. It's in a totally different way. It's it's a whole cube solution. So rather than this, look at it, do something, look at it, do something. It's a very methodical. You tear through the cube all at once instead of well, layer not by layer. It's very
3: methodical if they do it in under 10 seconds. There's no methodical part of that.
1: <laughs> I guess you're right. It's a system that they have just burned into their brains. Yeah. Yeah. You see them do it. They look at the cube. They observe it and they don't have to look. They just do the CFO Yeah, They know how to in. do it
0: from that point. Yeah.
1: But I think it's interesting that it took 17 years years for someone to realize a completely different approach Mm -hmm. in solving that cube
3: it took me longer (laughs) to have any approach whatsoever (laughs) yeah george
0: has a record for the longest time to solve the cube i
3: probably do (laughs) you know 30
0: years yeah 2003 the world cube association officially founded
1: yep so Hmm. now we're 20 plus years old as a toy and we have a world association to track all these records and run these competitions and stuff yeah they're like the official world record
0: holders
3: there's not associations for 90%, 99% even of the toys that are out there. Of course. Even the ones yeah. that have won that toy of the year thing. Like, I don't know, there might be, but I doubt there's a Cabbage Patch Association out there somewhere. I don't know. There probably is. There <laughs> might be, but, you <laughs> know. There's some fanatics. Maybe, but yeah. But to the degree that this World Cube Association is, I mean, that's a legit organization for sport and competition. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gives me the warm fuzzies to think about. You know, this toy that I played with, like so many others have
1: been forgotten how many people know about Oscar Goldman and his exploding briefcase? That was a toy that I loved
3: as much as the <laughs> Rubik's Cube. Everybody knows that. Right. But Come on. that well, well uh, we do. Everybody that listens to this podcast knows about but it. But <laughs> everyone on the planet,
1: if you show them a Rubik's Cube, they know. Yeah. what that thing is. It's just universal and it, it never went away, which is awesome to know that that thing that started in 2014, the 40th anniversary of its invention, mm-hmm. it was inducted into
0: the Toy Hall of Fame, rightfully so, as
3: it I should have been. I don't know it wasn't inducted before. Oh, yeah, before I that?
0: Geez. I know, right. Well, I mean, I remember when it was in that movie, uh, WALL-E. Remember? Yes. When things, one of the, mm-hmm. the things he collected was a Rubik's Cube. Yep. It's been yeah. in many, 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 many movies we'll talk about it in just
1: a little bit. Yeah. We, we have a lot of those. We're going to get to more on the Rubik's Cube, right after this. There's never been a puzzle quite like Rubik's Cube, and America
3: may never be the same. A Medical Journal has written about a unique phenomenon, Rubik's Thumb. A museum recognized it as a work of art. Rubik's
2: Cube has been involved in divorce proceedings. People are practicing at clinics, entering contests, and competing across the country. Rubik's Cube from ideal. 25 million Americans have made it a part of their lives. How
3: about you?
0: Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's
1: greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book.
0: I was in high school when this thing first Mm -hmm. became big. And my high school, it was almost like if you were a guy in this high school, you pretty much had to be able to solve a Rubik's Cube or else you had just Really? You just had to. <laughs> I mean, people in the cafeteria would be racing each other. It, it was ridiculous. Yeah, I went to a very nerdy high school. Even back that. then in the 30s, Mo, you
1: had people <laughs> racing to solve the Rubik's Cube. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're working oh. on our slates.
3: I <laughs> didn't pull out the Mo age <laughs> joke. How yeah. did that happen? You know, I can see the
0: gears turning. You were thinking. You were wanting yeah, to. Know. Just just beats you know. Know. Bees in a the punch. The thing is, it's just looking at like, I mean, the Rubik's Cube, you look at it, it seems very simple. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's three right. things. You just rotate three things. Like, How many different combinations could there possibly be? I love this. Yeah, so John, what's that number? 43 quintillion different combinations. That's a lot of freaking numbers. That's
1: a 43 followed by 6 decimal points. That's what that is. That's how many different ways you can orient that thing. And I think that's I mean, the the complexity yet simplicity of it is so amazing and it's deceptively simple, as you said, but it's also outrageously involved and complicated because you're you're working in all three dimensions. It's not a slide puzzle. It's, right. If I if I move this face, oh no, I've wrecked that face, and that's the problem that people run into. And I love that anytime you see references to the '80s, the Rubik's Cube is it's one of those icons. Oh yeah, right. There's boomboxes and Pac Man and Max Headroom and, and cassettes and VHS tapes and and the Rubik's Cube it's always yeah. there because it's, it's like a totem it's one of those things that is
0: is immediately identified <laughs> but unlike those other things it's still around <laughs> it is still around yeah
1: well yeah it's still big it's still yeah. huge in so many things When I mean, you mentioned a second ago Mo then WALL-E right he collected a Rubik's Cube and didn't, was confused right by right it right there next to the
0: spork right? <laughs> and
1: it's a, it, yeah, right it was it's a prop in things like you've seen it in you know, the Big Bang Theory and South Park and Tron and Lucifer and Rick and Morty every modern show is in but there have been a lot of major motion pictures where the Rubik's Cube is actually probably prim- prominently a plot device oh yeah it's ubiquitous because everyone knows what it is Mm
3: -hmm. yeah uh, john so for movies that it's been highlighted in the one that always sticks out in my mind because it's a movie that i've watched one time and can never watch again because of how sad it made me as a father yeah okay 2006 the pursuit of happiness will smith character right he explains how it works in a taxi in that one scene and that's the happiest scene in the film for me everything else (laughs) <laughs> it's so right. damn depressing in that movie oh, that I right. can never go back and watch it again. He had to solve it by the time the guy got there. Right, right. The guy said it was right. impossible.
1: It would give him a free cab ride. Right, and ultimately he calls a meeting with him and it's because Will Smith's character was saying, no, nothing is impossible. Even this right. can be solved. Right. And it's that kind of like the
0: perseverance that got him with his foot in the door. Yeah, yeah. I remember the uh, the funniest reference I saw to it, I think it was that Into the Spideyverse where um the Spider-Man noir was, because he only sees in black and white. Oh, right. He was, right. was fascinated. Fascinated. he's fascinated he's like i don't understand
3: this but i will <laughs>
0: did didn't he take it back with him yeah, to the did, <laughs> to the noir
3: universe and everybody was impressed with it right <laughs> you know that same year that into the spider verse came out ready player one one of our favorite oh, yeah. nostalgic storylines of all time the book the movie was pretty good in the movie they actually did a scene where they're all in the club and they're battling off the sixers who are coming to kill them, and they use a rubik's cube as a grenade but you have to oh. solve the cube to then throw activate it? Yeah. it and throw it up in the air. That's right. That's right. Wasn't
1: it uh, like called the Zemeckis device or something? Something, that like that, yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> right. They, yeah. they bought it with their, yeah, and then they used it to kind of bomb the club. That's right. I'm sure of right. our fourth
0: listeners remembers and we'll let us know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just last year, I don't know if you saw the thing about Edward Snowden. Oh, yeah. And he was smuggling, apparently, I don't know if this is true to what happened, but in the film, he had a little, one of those tiny little micro SD cards with sensitive data on it and he right. popped the cap off the middle of a Rubik's Cube and put it in there smart and in mm-hmm. fact there's a scene where he's going through airport security and he tosses the Rubik's Cube to the guy working security so it doesn't go through the x-ray machine oh and he tosses wow. it to him and a guy goes oh Rubik's Cube great and he hands it back to him on the other side and so it never gets scanned <laughs> <laughs> Genius. But yeah, that just goes to show how it, it, it's like you would use a, a truck or a box or a, a trumpet or whatever. Yeah. Everyone knows it. You don't know, explain. Let me explain, audience. Here's a cube. It's a puzzle. It's, everyone has touched it. Everyone one. knows
0: exactly what it is. And
1: that has made it just such a tool that you can use in anything. If you're a Stranger Things or you're, you're trying to do a show that's about the 80s, you know that on some kid's bookshelf, there's a damn Rubik's Cube. Guaranteed.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what the Rubik's Cube is? It is the Michael Jackson... Michael Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali all wrapped in one of the toy world. Everybody across the world knows the Rubik's cube, just like they know all those iconic figures.
0: Bob and Jane are a
2: wonderful couple. They do everything together, but it wasn't always that way. Bob had an obsession. Rubik's Cube, and Jane hardly saw him. Then, Jane got Rubik's Game.
0: It's the original Rubik's Cube plus a new twist, a challenging two-player strategy game. Rubik's Game, it's as simple as connecting three in a row, but really challenging because the
2: six-sided board is always changing. Rubik's Game, it's a puzzle, it's a game, and it's from Ideal. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit,
0: john you are by far a uh, what's the right word for george you say connoisseur obsessive compulsive obsessive compulsive yeah. that's not what was going uh, for a little okay. manic uh, <laughs> a little ocd i'm not sure right the right word is all i know is that you have a lot of these freaking cues. with a little jerk thrown in
3: you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> thanks thanks buddy <laughs> i say that with love oh yeah <laughs> of course i know i don't not at all <laughs> I mean, John, you actually collect
0: all the variations and stuff on these things, too. I I do. And I would say I can solve 80%
1: of them or so. There's some that I haven't invested the time. But what I find interesting is because the Rubik's Cube is what we call in the cubing world, a three by three. And by the (laughs) way, I don't position myself as a Rubik's Cube expert. I just have known about them for all my life and love them, right? (laughs) (laughs) That makes him an expert. (laughs) So the regular cube is a three by three is what we call it, which is kind of odd to say, but it's three by three by three technically, but that's cumbersome to say. So if it's uniform all the way around, the nicknames we call them are what all the dimensions are, three by three, two by two. So there's a three by three, which is the normal one. And then we have a two by two, which is a smaller version of that, which is, has fewer slices, obviously mm-hmm, it's your mm-hmm. pieces. And then it goes up. You have four by fours. They get and... stupid actually. well, They came out with something called <laughs> like the professor cube. That was the four by four. I think that was the first expansion they did. The fact that it had an even number made it different. That makes it really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. the even numbers don't have a center, right? Cause everything else ah. is an X, Y, Z axis, the regular Rubik's cube. And so everything moves around that you look and See what the middle is, and if it's green, then green's going to be on that side. With the even sides, you've got to figure out what the middles are and build them out of four other pieces, which is really always a challenge. But I actually I welcome that. But those go up to six by six, eight by eight. The largest I have is a nine by nine, but people
0: made larger. Yeah, that's just it gets stupid after that. (laughs) I'm sorry. Once you get past three by three, it's just
1: ridiculous. Stupid.
3: Well, before that, (laughs) it's pretty stupid around (laughs) seven
0: by seven. Believe me.
1: (laughs) So, but beyond just making them bigger, they actually they're way more things that are out there. The shapes, right? Yeah. The shapes, right. One that's very popular that uh, came out shortly after and is actually much easier than the Rubik's Cube to solve is the, the pyramids-shaped one called Pyramids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That came out way back when, too, right? That's been around for a long time. It, had, it came out mid-'80s. It was a yeah. few years after the Rubik's Cube got popular. I mean, you can imagine. So we just talked about how quickly the Rubik's Cube caught on. How long do you think it took other toy manufacturers to start making twisty toys? <laughs> no time at all.
3: Yeah. Right, no. As soon as somebody sees that there's money to be made, they're going to oh, start yeah. knocking it off as quickly as possible. They yeah. have to change it a little bit to to avoid patent infringement right. we talked about <laughs> he got his patent legally distinct from yet similar right. to exactly <laughs> So I remember my first one that I really liked an awful lot was that snake one where you would the twist Rubik's it. The Rubik's snake. And- yes. Yeah. 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 Because that yep. one you didn't really solve. You were just making shapes. And I was like, I can do this. I can't solve a Rubik's cube, but I can make a snake out of this thing because I can make it <laughs> I flat. I can make it straight. <laughs> I can make a little <laughs> L out of this one because I can I twist made one side. a There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so here's the question. Was the Pyramix, was that a Rubik's thing or was that another company? No, the Pyramix was actually designed by a guy named... Uwe Meffert. Uwe Meffert.
3: So a slightly more obscure name than Erno Rubik, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Someone else
1: for George to confuse with Russians. You're Just right. another guy <laughs> with a weird name. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) When I did a video about the Pyraminx for the YouTube channel, I talked Uh about Uwe Meffert and he actually invented the Pyraminx in 1970, Hmm. but did nothing with it until 81 when the Rubik's Cube started blowing up and he credits Erno Rubik with saying the Pyraminx would never have gone into production if not for the Rubik's Cube. He just thought it was a a curiosity, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the Rubik's snake actually was invented by Erno Rubik. That's why it got its name.
3: I guess you just had to have one of those names in order to be an inventor of these puzzle cubes, apparently. Is yeah. <laughs> that the
1: requirement? That was a pre-qualification. To, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly helps. It makes it more kind of exotic, doesn't it? <laughs> i love that the rubik snake you could you could make it into whatever you want erno rubik said he considered it more of a toy than a puzzle
0: yeah which it is it was but yeah, there, was
1: there was a solution there's that ball that it, right. it it came in that you could get it back to and even that i see people struggling with and i'm like sure it's so fun to be able to put it back in that ball people think you're doing a magic trick yeah <laughs> <Ta-da. laughs> it's just memorization but it's it's so much fun to do there's a 12-sided one called a mega minx Oh, yeah, I have one of those. Haven't solved it. <laughs> That's one I've not mastered yet. Like picture a 12-sided die and then slice it in a bajillion pieces. I think it's got like 50 moving parts to it. It's got a whole bunch of little pieces. Yeah, in it. it's ridiculous. <laughs> yep. So the deeper you go into the different types of puzzle cubes, the more blurry the line gets because there's so many variations in this mm-hmm. the cube world. But in general, there's a category called a scube, which is actually a Pyraminx model twisted. So it looks like it's cut on the diagonal. I'm sure you've seen one of those. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's when you mess it up. It looks like a mess. Uh, no,
1: the cube still stays like a, a,
3: a square. It still, oh, still yeah. stays right No, The mirrors are the ones you're thinking of. Yes, that is what yeah, the
1: ones. mirrors do that. So that's a deformed three by three. Right. right. And then we have the square one. That one is a shape shifting three by three. It, it huh? is such a mess. You can end up with nine pieces of the top layer and six on the bottom. Jeez. Mm. Oh, <laughs> It just, it stops being a cube after a while. And so you can get it back in a cube shape and it's still not solved because the colors are wrong. There are two (laughs) things to do.
0: That's when you just throw it at somebody.
1: (laughs) Right. Most people do that way before it goes back to cube shape. (laughs) And there's some that are really popular, especially with, we've seen people at conventions that really like, there's a whole category called cuboids, Mm -hmm. and that's non-cubes. They're puzzle cubes that don't go back to cubes. Most popular one probably is the floppy cube, that little one by... 3 by sure. three, oh 3 yeah, uh, yeah. that we've had that little one but there are a lot of them there's 2 by 2 by 3s and 2 by 3 by 5s and it, it defies
0: physics how they hold together yeah exactly that's what I was about to bring up it's like the engineering ingenuity to so come impressive. up with these things that they stay together and function it, it's just that's something that just amazes me I think more than anything else
1: and that's really what it goes back to it that's what Rubik was trying to prove when he made the demonstration he's like hey architecture students there are ways to build things that can move and manipulate without compromising the mechanisms inside of it as as a teaching tool it was genius and people have taken that and just run with it and made all these different cool shapes
2: Eastern Europe the studio of a famous puzzle inventor. So they want the puzzle that's harder than the original Rubik's Cube. <laughs> well, here's one they'll call Rubik's Revenge. <laughs> this revenge is a masterpiece. Just being able to solve one side will be a real challenge. Two sides are almost impossible. <laughs> and all six will be the ultimate revenge. <laughs> Rubik's Revenge. Sent to you with love. From Ideal.
3: Okay, so we've talked about the history of the Rubik's Cube. We've talked about the multitude of variations and how ridiculously frustrating it is to sit at a convention table and watch John solve these things while we just sit there and go, what the hell? Hey, but we're really good at messing him up for him. We can mess him up like nobody's business. Yeah. That is absolutely true. But I want to start off this segment with just talking about one. I think it's a very important part of the Rubik's Cube world, and that's records right? Oh yeah. And my personal yeah. record is 30 plus years to solve the Rubik's cube. Once. <laughs> <laughs> you should be, you should hold that with pride. That should be in the Guinness That's book good. of world records, but somebody's going to beat it at some point. That's book. a t-shirt actually. I have the world I record know, right? for solving Rubik's cube
1: 30
2: years.
3: 30 years.
0: <laughs> <days>. <laughs> <laughs> I turned it really
1: slowly. Right.
3: <laughs> I got my first one in middle school. So probably around 82, 83. Yeah. And John, it wasn't until like the mid 2000 teens, like 15, that we were at megacon and we had our first table (laughs) at megacon and just sitting together yeah we were just sitting there for four days and we weren't getting a whole lot of traffic at the table at that time because megacon's so freaking huge and there's so many people out there Mm -hmm. and i said okay i'm bored i'm stuck behind this cramped wall here and we have these puzzles and we weren't selling them or displaying they were just there for us to play with right and i said john teach me how to solve this damn rubik's cube i've never learned how to solve it i don't want to go read a book i don't want to look up youtube video teach me how to solve this rubik's cube and over a two-day period you did. You taught me yeah. how to solve the Rubik's Cube. You learned it after a 30-year log jam. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about the layer solve. I was the guy. I can solve two sides, you know? Yeah, right. A lot of people don't. But it amazes me how many other world records and facts there are. Like the three by three, apparently you can be, you're no more than 20 moves away from That's a solution. Yeah.
0: That's it's amazing. Isn't it
3: stupid. I don't understand that statistic.
0: Some mathematician is trying. Trying to like, like that's a... Like, what's it called a theorem like they can't actually proven it yet
3: right okay but they're right. trying
0: to get the formula to actually prove it right. mathematically that's what it should be right that's right. the number they've come to
1: mathematically right
3: can you imagine basing your thesis on that theorem yeah you're trying to get your PhD in mathematics <laughs> and it's like I gotta figure out this Rubik's Cube right
1: <laughs> yeah George gets his PhD 30 years later because it's gonna take right. him that long to get <laughs> <laughs> put that number down
3: pretty hard dilemma was my PhD
0: <laughs> pretty hard dilemma is that what it stands for for you <laughs> yeah oh, okay well the original guy that, at the very first competition he solved it what, 20, what did we say? Almost 23 seconds.
3: 22 and change. So what's the current
0: record?
1: Well, it depends. It depends on how you look at it. What happens is, like so many, maybe unlike so many real sports that are out there, but (laughs) (laughs) there's solve the cube, and then people are like, oh yeah, well, I can solve it blindfolded, or I can solve it behind my back, or I can, so there are all these different records based on the constraints. There's a world record for solving it with your feet. I kid you not. Wow. Oh my god. The ones that impressed me the most with the advent of that CFOP method. I've seen people that it's it's amazing. They do a no look, they look at it once, right? And then they're blindfolded and they solve it and put it down and they know it's done in their brain. Wow. Because they don't have to look at it again. They know where every piece is. And that's just, that's stunning. You know, you talked about the the 20 moves from solution. Think of it in reverse. Picture a solved Rubik's cube. And if I told you you could only turn it 20 times, uh, you'd be pretty wrecked.
0: Sure. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't take that much. i looked up some of the world records. I guess the current one is the normal cube, visually, just normal
3: people doing it the normal (laughs) way. Just looking at it. (laughs) Okay. First of all, they're not normal people. If they can solve it, in under 30 years they're not normal people (laughs) these are people who would be on that's incredible
0: today yeah exactly (laughs) they have the current record was done actually it's a couple years old now but he solved it in 3.47 seconds
3: Oh, shut up.
0: No, I, kid I can't you even not. pick
3: it up in that short amount of time. 3.47 seconds. And do you guys remember
0: that computer that the guy had the robot? Like, you saw on YouTube, they did a video where they had like a robot and they could oh, solve yeah, it. Oh, yeah. Seen those, do you know how yeah. fast it solved the qubit? Under a second. Yeah. 0. 0.36 seconds. 0. 0.36. Jesus. And if you ever watch it? It's like, it's amazing. The video is very cool to watch. They have to just
1: shoot like, it in high <laughs> speed yeah right. the thing is, it knows what to do right it knows right. after before it turns it it knows what the end result is going to be so it's got it all planned out it, it's mapped it in its brain and it just has to turn it fast it could probably right. find those 20 it's just yeah. a
3: matter of how fast your motors and gears are at that point yeah I guess. and the
0: fact that your cubes don't
1: explode right <laughs> And of course, they have records for all those other ones we talked about, whether they're pyraminx or two by twos yeah. or six by six or whatever giant ones. They also have variations of records that aren't how fast can you do it; it's how few moves you can get it done in. Uh-huh. Like how many turns did it take you? So, what's the three by three fewest moves record right now? To the best of my knowledge, in 2019, a guy named Sebastian Tronto did it in 16 moves. God damn it! There's another name
3: for my <laughs> next story, Sebastian <laughs> Tronto. Really? Is that great? That's all. Awesome awesome (laughs) there's so many good names in the world of cubing (laughs) he did did it in 16 moves i've got to find a way to turn that into a science fiction story somehow and i know we were saying the pyraminx is
1: great and it's not as complicated a human being solving a pyraminx is a 0.91 second record
3: a human being in under a second
1: under a second yeah under a second (brrrt) done
3: I mean, I remember, so you taught me how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Yep. And then it was at SFGE we were talking about last week where you taught me how to solve the pyramids. And that one, like you said, it was even easier. I learned that one yeah, in yeah. no time. That was super simple. It's kind
0: of a brute force method, sort of.
3: It kind it of is. Just keep doing, it, doing it. this till they line up. Yeah. It was more just because you had taught Mo how to solve it. And I walked over the table and Moe's sitting there solving. like, what the hell? How is Mo? No, oh, <laughs> Moe's not getting ahead of me. Now I have to solve it.
1: <laughs> have you ever looked at the way that speedcubers do this is really amazing. So, to time this, it's not like, you know, they have a guy with a stopwatch or whatever thing. It's really amazing. There's what's called a cube mat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Touch sensitive pad. Yeah, you put your hands on these touch sensitive pads. When you remove your hands, the timer starts. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done, you drop the cube and put your hands back on the pads, and that stops the timer. And so it knows you didn't get an extra turn in because it takes two hands on that both sides can't of the pad. Be
3: possible physically then for the Pyraminx guy? You can't pick your hands up and put them back down in under a second like well, that. Well, check the Don't video. Don't tell
1: that to Dominic Gomi who got the record. <laughs> Damn it, there's <laughs> another, another name. great name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like I mentioned before, how, how geeky my high school. Was and stuff, and we actually had a couple people in my class who were like competitive Rubik's Cube solvers. Like they went to really? these things, okay. And these guys, like, talking about they would take apart the cubes, loosen the screws, spray graphite in them to make it faster. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier, it's all yeah, about the, blow the friction, on them and they would spin. I mean, these things were so. <laughs> what I mean, these things were like so loose. <laughs> but the thing is that I, was, I still remember in the cafeteria, like these guys going at it and literally hearing and watching
3: pieces fly everywhere because <laughs> it <they> came apart
0: because <laughs> they came apart
3: if you could spin it by just by blowing on it like you're talking about that might also pose a problem that you might over rotate a side or something oh, like that I that mean if these things were like so loose I mean it was but it was the way to get the fastest time wow. that's
1: another possible record how fast can you solve it without touching it just blow on it
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: never underestimate the power of nerds with spare time they will find a way yeah. to
0: optimize something but yeah but actually spraying graphite powder in these that's, things yeah of, a of course lubricant. that's
1: genius now have a special lubricant that you can use on cubes called cube lube because it oh, doesn't geez. damage the plastic <laughs> Okay,
3: and that's the end of the podcast ladies and yeah. gentlemen it's just, it's, how do you
1: follow up on cube lube that's pretty much yeah, we're done <laughs> very briefly I want to say that I said the Rubik's Cube was really important to me as a kid and I was a very introverted kid when I was you? in middle school when this came out Utah? oh god no! Yeah. oh yeah no it, definitely not the cool cliques not the sports guys like George and you know <laughs> the Rubik's Cube actually helped to bring me out of my shell because unlike your high school, you were seeing the cube, not everybody knew or cared how to solve this. They were fascinated by it. We had keychains, everybody had them on their hip, everybody had a toy they carried around in school. All unsolved. But they were all, yeah, they were all tearing <laughs> them apart to solve them. And when word got out that I had figured out how, they thought I figured it out. I bought the book like 1.5 million other people did, we talked about. <laughs> I learned how to do it. I could solve it. It took me, you know, it'd take me three or four minutes or something, you know, it's not, it's when you know how to do it, it never takes more than five minutes. You just, you're going to do it. And people would pass me their cube in the halls. And then on the way back, they would tell people, oh, I gave it to John. He's solving the Rubik's Cube. And like, no, he's not bullshit. Blah, blah, blah. And then the hallway handed back to them. And they're like, wow, they're amazed. And that like, that became my claim to fame in middle school and junior high for a while. And it helped to make friends and get me out of my shell. And so I owe a debt that's to cool. the Rubik's Cube. That's, I think that's probably why that's I love them so much. Because it helped me to be me, ultimately.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's great.
1: Too bad you can't do Rubik's Cube, Dad.
0: I can. Okay, big shot. Let's see how good you are at Rubik's Race. It's Rubik's Race,
1: where you race against your opponent to be the first to match the random color pattern in the scramble box. It's Rubik's Race. It's fast, crazy, speedy. It's Rubik's Race. It's swift, frantic, wild. It's Rubik's Race. Even a dad can win.
3: Sorry, Dad.
0: Sometimes. Rubik's Race from Ideal, the makers of Rubik's Cube.
1: You're our fourth listener, and we'd love to read your emails right here on the show. So hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown up is more than just this podcast. Our YouTube channel has hundreds of videos ready for you to enjoy. Plus, you can find our entire body of work on genxgrownup.com. As just evidenced by my little junior high, middle school story, I I have so much reverence for the Rubik's Cube, and no matter how much research we did, no matter how long we talk about it, I feel that I will have done it injustice, but (laughs) certainly we took some time to talk about it a bit. You know, maybe we'll revisit it. I know there's some videos that we've done talking about uh, puzzle cubes that, uh, Mo, will make sure you have links to. and put those in the show notes below. Absolutely. But I'll take any opportunity to talk about a Rubik's Cube. I love it. I love the fact that I'm part of George's story, where he learned how to solve it after all this time because we (laughs) sat together. I love that you know Mo you have memories of your friends in, in high school and you know how they treated it and I think everybody that had any connection with it at all has some kind of a story probably about a Rubik's Cube uh, and So for our listeners if uh, you have memories We would love to hear specifically about your memories of uh, Would you learn to solve it or never learned or kind of <laughs> what your experience was I think that would yeah. be really neat to hear John, you
0: would be really cool to, now that you have that new camera hmm? What's that? that? Is a, a picture of all your cubes Wow, I guess I could Yeah, <laughs> That's
3: worth a $400 <laughs> I
0: DSLR know. camera Yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't. I don't know if I can get a, an angle that wide, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> you may have to buy a wide-angle lens. I might now. have to. Yeah, another two hundred
3: dollars. <laughs> we go.
1: Honey, <laughs> uh, what do you need it for? Well, I want to take a picture of my toys. Yeah. Before we leave, I always like to take just a moment here toward the end of this show to give our heartfelt thanks to all the folks that support us financially over a Patreon every single month. Take a few bucks out of their wallet helps keep the lights on here on the podcast. Or at YouTube and on the website and I want to thank each and every one of you Davis Slobo Chad <laughs> Jonathan H Arlem Steen blasted stash Tony Levi Adam Tom J Stu, monkey Dan Travis Dana Thomas Mike C Benz Chewbacca Greg Z Agile Greg L Mark Marcus Chet and T2 <gasps> Ooh,
0: wow I well done sir. I'm a
1: little I'm a little lightheaded and I'm happy about it just it's a growing <laughs> group of folks and we're so grateful uh, George if a uh, fourth listeners who are currently not a patron and would like to become one would you tell them how easy? It is
3: to do so. I would be happy to, sir. They can go to Gen slash Patreon. They can click a couple of buttons and then instantly be a patron giving us one dollar if they would like to, and we really love them, they love us. Two dollars means we doubly love each other. Three dollars <laughs> is where you start getting all that wonderful behind the scenes content that you can only get through Patreon. Are you saying our love can be bought? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> Alright, just clarifying, that's all. That's right. Thank we you. already <laughs> like you. This will make you us <laughs> love you. (laughs)
1: That's right. Well said, George. And depending on the level you pick, yeah, there's stuff to be had, swag to be got. And uh, at any level, we're grateful. We appreciate you. That's going to wind it up for this Rubik's Cube backtrack. We'll be back in two weeks, of course, with another backtrack. But next week with a regular edition of our show. Until then, I'm John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Oh, man, always fun. And fourth listeners, we appreciate you most of all. And we'll talk to you all next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen X grown up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.
2: for grown ups. Your
1: dinner Basically, life sucks as grown up. I'm just going to start recording. Okay, there we go. We're doing right, something. We're recording. Yay! <laughs> yep. All right. What are we talking about again? I don't know. <laughs> That aren't how fast can you do it? It's how few mute. It's Muse. how foo. How foo. How foo foo. foo. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: George's got nothing. I got nothing to add there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There were. Pe- I was the guy with the keychain that just passed off George. <laughs> John. I was the guy that passed it to John. <laughs> what was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes?